Welcome to Wayward Muse Podcast, where we travel through drinks. As a thank you to every one of you who watched our acclaimed web series on yourwaywardmuse.com and joined us for this podcast, we are giving you 10% off our entire collection from our website. Just use code listen to your muse for access to restaurant, bar, and home supplies, and of course, our exclusive merchandise. Our first two productions are never before heard deep dives from the web series. Stay tuned till the end if you want a preview into who our next award-winning guest might be. Tell me a little bit more about your background, because I know you said two years, but you definitely had a lineage before that. You said that you had worked at a place that had closed. Can you tell us more about yeah, that? Yeah, and... it was always like I did this to supplement my acting, uh-huh. um, as most actors do, but it wasn't until Green River, which was mm-hmm. a collaboration between Danny Meyer in New York, which if you haven't heard, he's a huge mogul up there. But mm-hmm. I mean, Shake Shack, yeah, yeah. 11 Madison Park, Union Square Cafe, The Modern. Anyways, fantastic philosophies on like hospitality. And then uh, Dead Rabbit Crew, which mm-hmm. uh, best bar in the world was like their consulting company. Yeah, They were the best bar in the world at the time. And then Julia Momose, known right now of Kumiko. Those three kind of collaborated on this massive venture. It was... 18 floors up in Northwestern Medical Center. So it was in a hospital on the 18th floor. We had the entire floors, massive, like catering spaces, a small speakeasy called Annex where I worked most of the time. Green Mm. River was the main Michelin star restaurant and insane cocktail bar. Julia gave me my start as bar prep. So Mm -hmm. I was prepping for essentially three different bars. So we had this massive terrace, like bar prep, and I was bar backing at the Mm -hmm. same time. I actually enjoyed prep a lot. That's where I met my mentor, Amit. Uh, who had came from Tel Aviv, and he kind of like took me under his wing, taught me a lot about prep, and secretly kind of trained me in this yeah. speakeasy annex because we were kind of away from far end of the restaurant, so no one really came and checked up us. But he was just took me under his wing, taught me everything he knew, and yeah. I owe most of my success to him, if not all of it. And that's kind of where I just developed a love for for cocktails. We had a few uh, trainings closely with like Jillian Vos and mm-hmm. Jack McGarry of the Dead Rabbit, which is, I mean, couldn't even pay for that kind of training to yeah. learn from them. And they offered to let me go stage up in New York at both Blacktail mm-hmm. and Dead Rabbit, which are just phenomenal cocktail bars. And I had no idea what I was doing, yeah. but I asked as many questions as I could and I came back and that's when I realized this is a craft that I wanted to like continue to pursue rather than just like, oh, I'm supplementing money so I can be on stage. Right, yeah. That's definitely something that's happened to a lot of people. Because like for me, I also had that acting background and it was one of those things where when I finally taste, it was wine that did it for me. Like someone popped open a vintage champagne. I think it was Boulanger, but it was just the the way that it tasted. I was like, well, I'm just going to get lost in this world. And it's really easy to do that. Mm -hmm. What were some of the, the lessons that you learned early on. Amit said something to me one time, we were working on, we were very heavy on dealer's choice in, in Annex. Uh, a lot of the regulars that came were like, okay, we're done with the menu. What do you, what can you guys do mm-hmm. now? And so we just had such a bank of, of syrups, tinctures, booze to work with. Like, oh my God, it's amazing. Uh, and one day he was like, like I made a dealer's choice. We're just R&Ding. He tasted it. And it's that. he's like, I, I don't care what's in the cocktail. I don't care about how the cocktail tastes until you give like hospitality first. And yeah. I think he had that sense before Danny Meyer, but Danny mm-hmm. Meyer is all about hospitality. And that really stuck with me where he's like, I don't, he's like, you could be the best bartender in the world. He's so knowledgeable in this, 
But if you don't treat a guest like they're coming into your home or their home, then he's like, I don't care what you're making, you know? And that, that kind of stuck with me about, you could, in this industry, you're always learning. I need to learn so much more. There's always more to learn mm-hmm. between wine, beer, spirits, cocktails. So that really stuck out in the sense where like, you could be the best bartender in the world, but if you can't entertain someone, you can't show them the respect and like the love and hospitality, then what are you doing in this industry? Because we forget over time, it becomes this thing of like, well, we're just turning and burning these drinks and we need to get these people out of here and we need to make this other thing happen. And it, you just forget that, oh, this person's coming in for an experience. And if you just slam a drink down and you didn't even taste it and you didn't try and balance it out, you're creating a one-time guest as opposed to a regular that you mm-hmm. could get to know and become friends with. It's definitely something we strive for here. Such a small team like having just a sense of people wanting to come back. And, mm-hmm. and in a way, this is this is like kind of a legendary like neighborhood bar. Yeah. So we have this, like a lot of neighborhood people that want to come in and just enjoy their time. But you, we also have people traveling from everywhere because they've heard of Billy Sunday. Oh, yeah. You're this in, is a cocktail In bar. books. Just like yeah. in the Amaro, Amaro book. Cocktails. It's like, boom, the huge section of like, yeah. please go to Billy Sunday <laughs> as soon as you can. Yeah. Fly into O'Hare, take the blue. No, it's not that specific. It's, but... it's pretty specific. And yeah, it's... I mean, it mentions Bachman, the guy, Alex Bachman, who gets us most of this booze like yeah. uh, at least five times. Uh-huh. And it's so funny because I was re- I got the Amaro book as a present while I was training at Mordecai, uh-huh. and I went on this cruise for the first time, like my girlfriend, but I had this book, did not know, I had not, you know, come over and help here at Billy, I wanted to get into Billy, but I ended up reading, knew nothing about Amari, read the entire book, and then literally the week I got back, like, boom, I was in right Billy here. Sunday helping out, and was like, oh, sh- this is this is crazy, like, this is what, this is the this, spot, this is the spot. Yeah. Been, I read this four times in the book, you know, mm-hmm. so that was really interesting. Uh, sequence of events that led me here and, and learning about tomorrow at the same time. If you were to like one cocktail that you could make and like rattle off about, like what would you, what would you go for? A uh, chartreuse swizzle classics, which is essentially a tiki cocktail with uh-huh. a lot of chartreuse, a lot of it, a little yeah. bit of rum, pineapple, lime, mm-hmm. falernum. I have, I had this uh, extreme love for chartreuse. When mm-hmm. people first get in the industry, I think all the noobs are like, Ooh, what's this chartreuse? Yeah. And, uh, so a meet, my mentor was like, have you tried this cocktail? As soon as I tasted it, like, well, this is, it like, yeah this must be the pinnacle of all cocktails he was like and throwing the towel yeah, that's it i've learned everything <laughs> i need to learn bye-bye styles of amaro i think is probably a good place to start sure uh well first of all amaro is the largest category in all of spirits oh, so I yeah i mean Mostly that attains to the fact that there are no governmental oversights, mm-hmm. um, no restrictions. So, I mean, we could go out into the park during the spring or summer, pick some herbs, like go around barks, roots, whatever we want to do, macerate it into, you know, neutral grain and call, you know, the Logan Square tomorrow if we wanted to, which is pretty crazy. But that's, uh, since there's no like restrictions on it, there's just so many. It's such a vast category Mm -hmm. that, I mean, there are like main categories that I've been taught, um, but there are so much more in between, but you've got Bitters di Torino, better known people, mostly, you know, Campari, Aperol, uh, Genepi, one of Uh my favorite categories, as you can tell, Chartreuse, probably being the most famous. Most Amari tends to be a little bit low ABV, Mm -hmm. right? Except for two categories that are kind of exceptions. One is Genepi, which could, because you've got stuff like Chinterbe in there, which Uh is kind of like Italian Chartreuse, if you will. And those can get. And those are all like, like alpine. Yeah, you've like got the, more like herbal, yeah. floral mm-hmm. qualities to it. Um, then you've got 
uh, you've got rhubarbaro, which is uh -huh. Chinese smoked rhubarb base. Uh, macerations, you've got uh, mediums, which is definitely the biggest category in yeah. all because that can strain about essentially talking medium bitter, medium sweet. Uh, I've always seen that one is what people consider as classic Amaro. So it was always like bitters, Genepi, mm -hmm. Amaro is the section I thought it always got called. But mediums, I think, makes way more sense. Yeah. Then we've got uh, Cartofio, mm -hmm. which is like Chinar is probably the most famous, yeah. uh, but derived from like artichoke. And then we've got, uh, let's see, I've pretty much hit everything. Oh, you've, well, you've got like Kinas, Faro Kinas. Those are kind of subsections yeah. of Rebarbaro. And then we have Some Fernet. of my favorites. And of course, Frenet. Fernet Branca probably being the number one consumed yeah. tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, but people... Thank you, San Francisco. Yes. So that's the story is like all the San Francisco bartenders take it as shots. And because San Franciscan bartenders are like the most traveling in the U.S., mm -hmm. like I don't know what it is about that city, but they're always like, all right, time to hit New York, Chicago, Austin, yeah. and boom, hit all the corners. They were all doing shots of Fernet. That became a thing. I, I, I mean, there's so like interesting a story. That, that place, there you know? is a story, and I wish I knew, like, because I'm sure it's been tossed around, like, how yeah. exactly, like, Fernet Bronco became the bartender handshake yeah. in San Francisco. But at one point, I forget who told me this, but, you know, so uh, um, Bronco used to have, I think it was 15 or 16 distilleries uh -huh. back in, like, the heyday of bitters, right? Yeah. In the 1900. Uh, and essentially, those all closed down after the 80s was kind of the end of the bitter culture. Mm -hmm. Um the younger generation in Europe just didn't really appreciate it as much. So a so lot sad. of these small, uh, you know, small family owned, which is most Amari production, like closed, except for the big boys that got bought up. But mm -hmm. Bronca had 16 went down to two, right? Yeah. And the one in, uh, like in Milan, the biggest mm -hmm. one provided for essentially the rest of the world. Yeah. In America, it's San Francisco, New York, Chicago, like some of those major cities are like mm -hmm. the wide consumers. But then there's one other small distillery right outside of it's Argentina. I know. That provides yeah. solely for Argentina because uh, uh -huh. Fernet and Coke is like their Fernet, drink of choice. It is. So to just like hear that one distillery mm -hmm. provides for just yeah. that one small country and then the rest of the world runs out of it. It's, it's pretty interesting. Talking about Amaro's. Do you like, like, I know Billy Sunday has like such a great category of like Amaro cocktails. Was there one that you gravitate towards more? Yes. So actually, one of. My favorite cocktails that I definitely want to make for you is mm -hmm. the Amaro Daiquiri. The Amaro Dac is, I mean, Daiquiri, right, is probably one of the most, I've definitely found, specifically my mentor, Amit, that's how he judges places, which I yeah. think is, I guess that's Literally, kind of I a said that in thing. one of the, like the, I said it's either the Daiquiri, right. or what was it, like an old fashioned is another good proving ground, but the martini, mm -hmm. like a Daiquiri and a martini, like you can tell like a bartender's skill level pretty much on those two drinks. But yeah. Uh, you're essentially, right, Daiquiri is just rum, lime sugar. Mm -hmm. uh, what we did is we took that classic and instead of having one base of rum, we split it between these two. Is uh, Rebarbaro. This was their replacement for, they used to own Zucca. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, what's going on with Zucca? Hey, without, let's see, it was maybe, I don't even want to know how, how long it's been, but uh, they used to, House Alpens, who owns Capulet and they used to own mm -hmm. Zucca. It was a bit richer, lower in ABV. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. If you find a bottle that you'll see it, it has like a red cap. We mm -hmm. used to have like a 90s bottle in here, but, yeah. um, if you find it, buy it, it's delicious. But essentially, sad story, a big company bought out Azuka, mm -hmm. upped the ABV because they want to use it as more of like a main, a base spirit rather yeah. than uh, just a modifier. And then this was Capaletti's answer to it. 
they went with this unfiltered style, which is pretty Dude, common actually so in, cool. in rhubarbero, yeah. and uh, a bit like smoke of smokiness with the the Chinese rhubarb in there. Mm -hmm. But this is just fantastic as that smoke. Whereas Braulio, a very well known Alpine Amaro, yeah, more herbal, uh, adds like a little bit of like bittersweet notes too with that that floral aspect that really works with both the Syrah de Capillara in the drink, and it just it just like these two meld together. And make this perfect, delicious cocktail. Uh, so fresh lime, and then uh, Sarapte, I believe Capillar is how you pronounce it, but is a uh, kind of an old school prohibition style syrup, to my knowledge. Uh -huh. uh, but you're essentially taking sugar and a, like gum arabic uh -huh. and mixing that with it's a, it's a style of fern, but and using that and kind of hydrating this. Mm -hmm. um, essentially sap into yeah. the syrup and then uh, letting it macerate a little bit with the fern for almost like more herbal qualities. Got it. But what you kind of get from that is, I'm sure you've heard like a rich syrup is usually yeah. two to one of that sugar. Exactly. This almost gets that same kind of mouthfeel, uh -huh. but without that extra sweetness from the sugar. So that, that gum arabic adds this really amazing viscosity yeah. and mouthfeel. I was going to say, let's talk about gum arabic because they're the last one of the other places that we've been to said like the only thing that they use is gum syrups now. Like that's becoming a huge thing. I know that's, I think that's the same thing with you guys. Yeah. So you got some competition down on the South side. I see. I, I see. mean, there, I mean, that's one of those things though. like Chicago, like a lot of people don't travel outside of their neighborhood that much. So I don't think you guys got to worry about it. First of all, kudos to anyone who's using, I, I knew nothing about gum, yeah. gums or Syrah before I started working here and then realized this was kind of our butter, you know, yeah. instead of, uh, we rarely touch simple anymore especially mm. most recently we did like reworked a lot of our classics and we almost tried to cut out simple almost all together which is yeah uh i mean that's crazy to me because simple is just especially well, in dealer's choices yeah just like you use it in classics it's everywhere but once again you can use less of this with a better mouthfeel and it's just it just it just makes every drink fantastic we use a lot and we've got a mint gum we've made everything from oregano gum to Pineapple, uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's just another, it's a, I think a better glue in cocktails, um, especially in stirred cocktails, you can use less of it and still get that mouthfeel, which is really cool. Bachman, to my knowledge, he was very interested in terroir driven wines, vintage wines, and that kind of inevitably led to vintage Amari, uh -huh. since they are, I mean, that's huge, and Amaro is like terroir, like the terroir use and the different macerations that go into it. So I need that kind of, uh, when he fell into that, I, I believe he worked at Trotters mm -hmm. uh, with one of our managing partners, Chef Matthias Murgis, and they ended up opening both You Show and Billy Sunday here in Chicago. And I think Bachman was like a, the original beverage director, head bartender, bar uh, bar manager, whatever you want to call person. it, and he bar person, bar wench, and he <laughs> just like focused on bringing in all of these amazing uh, old That's crazy Amari. And I yeah. mean, there's like is there's a bidding system or like. So he has told us some things, but not everything. Uh, but he he left, I would say maybe three or three years into Billy, and kind of started his own business called Soul Agents, mm -hmm. and almost like monopolized this vintage kind of because this is right before I think the vintage trend. When we can set up trainings with him, he'll just he's an encyclopedia, not just with uh, Amaro. He just rattles, rattles, and rattles off facts, and I'm struggling to. Right, you know yeah. that that kind of training is just can't can't pay for that. It's yeah. it's how I felt about training with Dead Rabbit guys mm -hmm. and and people I've worked with. But like this is just like you come in and and he'll just he'll go into the history of 
everything, and it's so amazing. I believe he has like some father-son duo that does a lot of scouring of Europe. He's got like a network. Yeah, he's got a network. I'm sure probably he's worked with maybe Paul McGee at times, like for like some I've heard vintage of him. stuff. I've heard of him. Yeah, he, he does some things. He does, and then he's, done, he's done a thing or I, two. I may be wrong, but at one point he might have mentioned um, House of Glens. If you're familiar, is one of the it might be the oldest like uh, liquor store in Chicago, mm-hmm. but it's located down near the Gold Coast or Old Town. Mm-hmm. And it's super old school. I think the guy who runs that place, a family owned for a while, mm-hmm. I think he has a lot of connections within uh, as well. So I nice. think it's a combination of, of, you know, everything from estate sales to dusty bottles on these tiny little liquor store shelves that no one knows what's going mm-hmm. on. I think it's a combination of a lot of different things and how he sources them. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's super, I think he, if probably like five out of 10 bars that have vintage in the country, probably go may have gone through him at some point yeah which is pretty cool it's pretty awesome that is he's a he's a master of of uh amaro for sure i don't know if you're allowed to at least pull them down for us to take a look at but if you had to pull down like a few bottles to be like i'm not saying like flex but definitely like show off yeah i could do that amaro isabella is a medium style that was made famous in a cocktail called the baby darling the 18, I believe, refers to the different uh, macerations that go into it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is from the 70s. It's delicious. Uh, Moving on with Verna, as we talked about earlier, but this is just one of my favorite bottles that I've tasted here uh-huh. and reinvigorated my love for, for a Verna. It's just so much more like light and delicate and nuanced mm-hmm. while still having almost like a more potent flavor to it, which, mm-hmm. is, which is crazy. And, and, I, and I'm really a fan of like those Picone styles, yeah. uh, macerating like a fresh or a local citrus into it so mm-hmm. sicilian bitter oranges go into this production 60s Bergia. so we for a long time like we ended up getting bachman got us 12 bottles or so of this what's cool about Bergia is it was uh the first distiller to what is it uh be able to figure out how to incorporate like the flower and the root of chinese rhubarb into the process which is toxic or those those parts of the plant are toxic Mm -hmm. they figured out how to distill that out and it gives this almost more perceived fruits and yet smokiness at the same time uh we were using this in our vintage Uh old-fashioned uh but we just like oh yeah we flew flew through the stuff now we're keeping a few bottles around just to be able to like present Mm -hmm. it in in some like flights your Mm old-fashioned that you have in-house just like your regular ones pretty dank right oh dank yeah, like dank, dank is a great word. Like dank is like literally. Well, just... a lot of people like to come in and tell me that it's the best old fashioned in the city. Ooh. And I may or may not agree with them. Uh, uh-huh. It is fantastic, and we it, it's our number one selling drink since we opened. But we substitute like what most people use, what Angostura bitters and orange. Yeah. We substitute that with Zuka. Noise. Um, as we talked about earlier, uh-huh. and this adds like those almost fruit qualities without us having to muddle yeah. uh, the nasty cherry and orange into the drink. We do a pretty old school um, way of doing our old fashioned, which uh-huh. is one sugar cube, as I did, and then we actually pre-dilute it with water. Wait, what? Yeah, and we kind of like muddle that until the sugar is completely dissolved, uh-huh. and then we'll add the rhubarbaro and then the whiskey as the base. Yeah. But uh, one thing that it is like kind of an old school technique, like craft technique. No matter who's making this cocktail, mm-hmm. it's going to be the same old fashioned that you got when we first day one when we opened to now. Nice. Uh, and Dude, allows- that level of consistency, like even over like a year span, is impossible. But that you guys have done that for seven years yeah. is 
well, straight up legit. So, kudos to y'all. A little Zuka. Nice. And we like Willet. If you guys aren't familiar with Willet, I'm going to plug Willet real quick. Let's plug some Willet. Small family owned distillery right across from like Heaven Hill, uh-huh. which is crazy to see because Heaven Hill's got like hundreds of rick houses or something. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Willet's got like two. Yeah. Uh, but a beautiful campus. Uh, it's been family owned. They went through like, I believe, uh, a bit of transitional with like yeah. fire, but uh, extended oh, the fire was insane. Bought, bought it hear, back yeah. up. And uh, kind of reinvigorated the property. Nice. It's just so beautiful. They specialize. And you're using their Johnny Drum. Johnny which is Drum. Just so good. Which is a 101 bourbon. Uh-huh. Most of their whiskeys that they produce are high rye based. They just have, like, Willet four year rye is definitely one of my go tos. They were producing a three year, now it's back to four year. Dude, and that bottle is always so iconic too. Like, that thing They're drops like, on the oh, bar shield. and you just get so happy. Mm. We get uh, some beautiful. Ice from Just Ice. Dude, Just which Ice. makes those beautiful, no nice, crystal clear. No one could do justice clear. for Just Ice. I'm just saying it right now. Uh, so we get the big old work. blocks and... Like, what size do you guys get for your... Like, do you actually The big get... boys are 4x4. Four four, okay. And then we'll hand ship them into these beautiful... Nice. ...spheres. Uh, and then, once again, it is pre-diluted, right? So we're pouring this essentially warm cocktail into this ice. And obviously, the bigger the ice, more surface area... Uh, uh-huh. It'll take longer to dilute, which is great for sipping whiskey or just like cocktails, yeah. keeping the flavor intact. But what's really, really cool, like I said, I, I don't know how I felt about it at first, getting this kind of lukewarm drink in front of me. Mm-hmm. But what's amazing and what I think one of the main reasons I can only guess why they ended up doing this is that this drink changes five, six, seven times before the end of it, right? Yeah, that transitional yeah. cocktail experience. I've I've played around with it a little bit, and like I think it's very interesting to take guests to the experience of like, well, this drink is going to start here, and it's going to take you have fifteen minutes to enjoy it, and like it's just one of those things. Like prolonging the experience creates more opportunities for not only upsell, but it also gives you an opportunity to like change a guest perspective in just a small amount of time. Yeah, so I totally dig it. So I think I Ooh. think what people why they enjoy this old-fashioned so much is like we talked about before when you said like daiquiri and old fashions are a good way to test the bartender you know old fashions you could go they're just they could be so bad because so much sugar the muddling of the fruit yeah wisconsin style to do but Uh like Mm. what ours really focuses on right is is just is the is the bourbon yeah and with these little notes from the rhubarbaro to add that like i said touch of bitterness touch of perceived like Mm. dark fruit to it um and it just like Little little yeah. bit of orange uh, expression over the top of the oils mm-hmm. gives you that like kind of familiar sense that a lot of times orange, but we leave it kind of barren like that to accent the ice, and you're really just gonna taste like what an old fashioned should should be, which is sugar, spirit, water, bitters, and boy oh boy, oh, is I'm it excited. a delicious old fashioned. I mean, technically, because it has a that large of a bitter agent, does it become a Toronto? Oh, uh, no, I would say no. Because Toronto has bitter and it has fernet. It's what? It's fernet, rye. Well, rye Canadian, Canadian whiskey, what, right. whatever it is. But like, that's the thing about Canadian. Unless it's like lot 40, then... I was like, to say, I have one Canadian and it's oh, lot I 40. Oh, totally, I saw it. I was like, <laughs> fact, me too, brother. That's is, the one I reached fantastic. for. Which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that old-fashioned... Ooh, that's... I like didn't realize that like there's just the right amount of sweetness to bitter that it like completely... All you're getting is like that bright orange pith note and then it settles into the nice vanilla structure of the johnny drum yummy that is so good yeah now and, you know we re- like i said revisit that in five mm. minutes yeah completely different old-fashioned well we should let that delicious. sit there and we'll yeah. try it again 
I was wondering if there's, and I know it might be a stretch, but can we go over like glassware that you'd want to serve a vintage tomorrow in and maybe just a taste of one so that way we can sure, go over the sure. structure of it? We like to refer to shots here as nips, nippers. Oh, I love a good nip. Uh, just a bit nip, a little nip. Oh, we uh, for nip. like industry folks or some good regulars or people we want to enhance now, their Now, if you were to slip on the nip, I wouldn't mind because that just means it'd be a little bit more for me. But. Uh, slip on the nip. But we, you know, once again, vintage shopping, come up, find yeah. like nice little, nine times out of ten people are going to do one ounce pours. Yeah. We're not all made of money here. Uh, uh -huh. But we do have some nice larger ones, but uh, call these a fancy nip glass. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pour a little bit of this Berge, as we do love the Berge here. And I do have another bottle downstairs, so it's a safe, safe pour for us. Mm -mm -mm. So Ooh. once again, 70s. Uh, probably the the only like it was a, I believe the second producer of Rebarbaro if I'm not mistaken mm -hmm. and it kind of was the only one to rival Zuka uh, of, over like the course of of uh, the last century uh, but I believe as most of them as I talked about before went defunct in the late 70s or early 80s at the Whoa, end. Wow, that's super balanced. Isn't that delicious? And you think it's mellowed in glass over the years because I feel like that's totally mellowed in glass over the years. That's dope. Like that, because like if you'd have a rhubarbo now, it's like has that sharp edge to it, and like now it's completely rounded on the palate. You're getting almost like more of the like the like pl like a plum, plum or like yeah. like it's almost like stewed fruit that you like is a big call in like new world wines. Sure. I think you're getting that in like this tomorrow just because it sat so long and had some some time to relax, put its yeah. feet up. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, I think it's it's really cool. What I've I'm I've been here two years and mm. I have maybe really tasted and got to know of maybe a third of this I mean, collection. it's a hard thing to be like, at the end of the shift, like, hey, can I try that one from 1940? I just want to, like, refresh yeah. my palate. Like, it's, it's just not it's, it's uh, not something you get to talk about. What's really awesome about this company, or, or one of the things that they let us do here at Billy, is if we pull, specifically the expensive ones, if we pull a bottle down, we all get to taste it, right? Yeah. And that's that's great. Even if it's if it's that $100 Fernet Bronco from the 40s, after we serve it, we want to be able to talk about it, right? And to have that conversation with the guests, once again, yeah. driving back to hospitality. And so like, we'll, whoever's working, we always pour just a little touch so we can all taste, talk about the notes, hopefully write something down. So next time we can have that conversation even better with the following guests. Yeah. And uh, the oxidation, obviously like um, when you, the bottle opens or the longer it's been sitting. Yeah. So sugar is the first thing that starts dropping out of these bottles. What is, what's really beautiful and what I've enjoyed working here for so long and like kind of getting the taste is just those like as that sugar drops the older the bottle the more you get to taste those macerations in its like entirety because you're it's losing some of the balance but you're tasting more specifically in Fernet you're tasting like this is what was macerated into it and it's just like almost in its raw form which is really really cool and yeah. I mean like I said I'll constantly be learning by the time I leave here if and when I live here I'm still not going to know much about there's some bottles that Bachman will get us and he doesn't know about, we don't know about, you know, mm -hmm. he can tell us the best, like the style or the region, but sometimes we just don't know anything. And sometimes we have to tell guests that, Yeah, I don't know. I just tasted this bottle as well. I hope you think it's delicious and tasty. You know, we'll start straw tasting this. This one's gonna be a bit more dry or more mentholated or, yeah. or whatever to have that conversation. But I mean, I'm not afraid to say I know jack shit about this bottle i think it's something that you have to be comfortable with especially when you're getting into the upper price points i mean like listen the cool thing that about this experience is you and 
50 people living have tried this. Mm -hmm. So you can either enjoy that experience or we can move you into something that we have had. Yeah. So like, I think that's a like a conversation you have to be comfortable with. Like, there's a, a place that I've worked where like they had a, a release of Cinco Sentidos Mezcal where like mm -hmm. they only had that like that one palenque only made a hundred bottles, and like this was like ten years ago. So like at this point, there are five of these bottles left right. within two hundred miles of us. So it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but I mean bragging rights alone. It's definitely something that's worth it. Let's get back to this old-fashioned, though. Let's yeah, let's do it. Uh, the last two ones here I brought down, Brom. This is uh, Stephanie, definitely one of her favorite bottles, and, mm -hmm. and thus, in turn, we all absolutely love it. Uh, but very small production um, mm -hmm. and, of Alpine. So it's exactly how it sounds. They're sourcing ingredients typically from, from the Alps. Uh, more herbal, floral qualities, but, of course, you got, like, root sparks macerated into their fruits. Uh, and then they even made this even smaller production called Amarello Brom, which we have a little oh, okay. bit too, which is a little bit lighter. They bumped up the gentian, but this is like, uh, this is probably, it, it is one of my top five favorite bottles in house. A lot of these are that I pulled down. And then lastly, Fernet Stock. Stock was, um, probably the only rival to Bronca, oh, okay. uh, over, over the century. Uh, and this is from, I believe this bottle, I think is sixties or forties. Hard remember. to tell since we, the label had a gone, few, but... the label is gone. Uh, but what's Bachman usually does an amazing job of getting us these bottles like perfectly like if the fill line is a little off He's probably not gonna give it to us or give it to us for free uh, But like just giving us well intact bottles, but yeah. I, sometimes I even love these these broken Because you, you're just seeing a story the age, here. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's the age on the bottle. But yeah, how's that old-fashioned? Huh? It's interesting now that it's kind of chilled down. You're getting more like floral notes to it, which is great mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's probably the the bitter agents are a little like able to relax a little bit more now that it's diluted. That's really wonderful, man. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you today. Thanks you for well. opening up the doors and letting us uh, enjoy course. some great, great spirits and some wonderful cocktails. My pleasure. Well, cheers, Jeremy. Thank you so much, man. Cheers. Oh, well, look at that. You stuck around. You stayed till the end. Now I can give you the surprise that you've been waiting for. Up next, we're going to have two different segments from Brandon Phillips. After that, we are rejoined by Wayward Muse alum, Roger Landis. And then, brand new to the show, and first announced here, right now, Josh Harris from Trick Dog, James Beard award-winning bar from San Francisco, will be dropping by to share his insights on the industry. Until next time, I'm your host, Stephen of Wayward Muse. See you next week.